Show of hands, how many of you guys have heard that song before? How many of you guys have never heard that song before? Okay, cool. You know, I remember for me, the first time that I ever heard that song, I was a teenager, and I was in my dad's truck, and he had this Cat Stevens album, that's who it is, uh, who wrote that, and it would just play on repeat. And you know where you hear something over and over again, but you don't listen to it? It's like background noise, and then one day you finally hear it. I, I can't tell you the first time my ears heard it, I can tell you the first time that I heard the words and they stuck with me as I sat there in the passenger seat looking across the seat at my father who was driving. See, song talks about a younger person getting frustrated and feeling misunderstood and feeling like maybe I need, in order for me to like claim who I am and those different things, I gotta get out of here, right? I need to leave, which is a very age-old story. If you're a younger person in the room and you're like, I get that, I'm like, yeah, we all, in some way, capacity, feel that trying to just grow up in a family and be someone and be our own person. And, and it's a complicated deal. I've got two middle school daughters now and I'm like, man, is this complicated? I don't even know right from left anymore, right? And I was in this moment, I was a teenager at this particular time trying to find my own voice and figure my life out. My dad in that era was both one of my favorite people and my least favorite people on the planet. He was. He's one of my favorite people because He's fun, and we had so much fun together. We'd go on adventures. We'd go skiing together. we do all kinds of new stuff. We have the same sense of humor, so we tend to laugh our way through parts of life, and, and I love that about him. But we are also both stubborn and argumentative at times and a lot like each other in some ways, and so we would conflict uh, pretty hard. We both believed that the way we saw things were the way that things actually were, and if the other person just saw it our way, everything would be fine, and so it was our job to force the other person to be more like us. Right? Anybody ever been in that dynamic? It got real quiet. <laughs> yeah? In this room. Like, that was us. And, and so we would enter into this thing. And it got to be this song and dance that we both got really used to, that we both got really comfortable in, even if we hated it. Getting these really long, drawn-out arguments over the stupidest things. And I say that because they were just really small stuff. Like, anything could lead to large stuff at that point in time. And I was constantly, my dad wanted me to learn from him. He wanted me to understand what he was getting at and who, what he was after. And he wanted me to respect him. And I, when I disagreed with something or saw it differently or wanted to do it differently, I wanted to be seen and I wanted to be heard and I wanted to raise my voice to do that. And so if you can imagine the tension that that would create in our household, it was pretty ongoing. And like I said, we just got used to doing this dance, the same song over and over and over again. I remember one particular moment, I was 15 years old, and we got in this humongous argument over something very small, and it was over me mowing the lawn. And I didn't do it by the time that I was supposed to on a Saturday. And he was like, we agreed that you would do it by this time. And I started to argue, and I started to say, here's all the reasons why, why I didn't do it and why you should be okay with that and why I think this is being ridiculous. And it all just escalated to the degree that my dad disappears for a moment, and he comes back with a contract in writing about the time and the date that I would do this so that I, because I was a little bit argumentative, would, would basically look and be like, not be able to poke loopholes, and this is what you signed, and this is what we agreed to. And I turned to him, and I made this passive-aggressive comment to him at that moment, and I said, I guess I'm just one of your employees now and not your son. And my dad responded back because now we're both dancing. My dad responded back to me and he said, if you were one of my employees, you'd been fired a long time ago. <laughs> I didn't share that in the last service and my dad was here and he's like, you've got to share that. <laughs> so there you go. Right? And I got so frustrated and I looked at the contract and I I was like, I'm not going to sign, and I quote, to quote a former version of myself, that stupid contract, and this just started to escalate, you guys. 
Like everything escalated in that time between the two of us. I ended up getting grounded moment by moment, little by little for a total of three months before my dad was so exasperated that he walked away and he's just like, I'm done and left the room. And it was in that same season of time that I heard this song for the very first time as I was sitting in a truck with him and we were driving and I'm listening to those words and I look over at my father and that song was so comforting to me. I know that's, it might be weird. That may not be what you were thinking I'd say. It was, it was like this comforting moment because I had this weird moment where I looked and I was like, it's not just me. Like, it's not just us. Apparently other people's families are crazy too. And you laugh, but how many, have you ever looked at your own family and been like, nobody can know about this because they won't know what to do. Like I had this image in my head, like we were all sitting at, everyone else is sitting at like dinner tables with televisions turned off, high-fiving each other and saying how proud they were. And we're arguing all the time. You know, I, I had this thing in my head about what that would be like. And I hear this song and I hear the words for the very first time. And I just start to realize, man, somebody else actually went so far as to write a song about it. And many of us listen to it. And there's this resonance in this. And it made me begin to realize then what I've come to know more and more as I have gotten older. And it's this, man, family is so beautiful, but good gosh, is it complicated. <laughs> Family's so beautiful, but it can be really tough. I want to ask you some questions and don't raise your hands. I repeat, don't raise your hands when I ask you this question. You might want to out of instinct, but don't. How many of you here today would say that one of the hardest relationships in your life that you have had to walk through has actually been family, if you're honest about it? See, don't raise your hand. But think about that. How many of you, is that true for you? How many of you would look and say, man, no, family has been one of the most beautiful things in my life. It's been one of the most powerful things. I'm grateful for family. How many of you also at the very same time have found it to be confusing or difficult, tough to navigate, or hurtful sometimes. How many of you grew up in a family where you were expected to be something because your family was a certain way and you're like the shoe that didn't fit, right? Like where, where it's always like there was some part of it trying to make you into something and it just never quite worked right and that created tension and conflict with you and your family and even to this day, you're like, yeah, that's me. I feel that and family's been beautiful but it's been weird or tense, or you haven't known what to do with it? How many of you grew up where there were problems going on in your family that swirled around you and inside of you, and that's what occupied your head, that's what occupied your heart, that's what occupied your time? And even now, you might be looking back at the past, and you're like, that's still what's occupying my head and my heart and my time. And it's because you know family is this amazing, powerful thing, but it can be hard. And it can be really tough, right? It's this beautiful but complicated thing. Can I tell you the craziest thing about family? And if you're a young person in the room, I apologize for what I'm about to say because it's true. And it's this. I don't care how old you get. I don't care how far you move, how much you grow in your life, how much you, you develop and overcome and all these different things to become the person that you are. Go step back into a house with all of your family in it, and you will find that you step straight back into the same old song and dance, and it will surprise you from time to time. And we get a little better each time, but you just feel it, and it's because this is just our dance. This is just how these dynamics work. This is just how family is. And that's why I wanted to start this new series called The Dance. It's looking at relationships with this talk on family, because it just feels kind to start here. Family's a really big deal. You know it's a really big deal to God too. You may not realize this. I love this about the Bible, but do you realize every time God wanted to do something significant in human history, he didn't start with an individual, he started with a family? 
Abraham came with a whole family. He started with Noah and his whole family. When Jesus is born, the one person we think should start with a singular individual, he's born into a ragtag family. And you just see this happen. God has this value for this thing. And there's complexity in it. Complexity in it. You see the honesty of all that in the scriptures. But man, if we're to love one another as Christ has loved us, then a place of significance to start is figuring out how to do this family thing well. And that, friends, as we have talked about, isn't always easy. So we wanted to talk about this. And now let me encourage you with something or challenge you with something, maybe is a better way to put it. If you're sitting here and you're one of those people that's like, I'm excited for this sermon because you're listening to it for the person in your family who's not here who needs to hear it, if you're that person, don't. This is for you. It is. Each of these messages, especially today, but in the, week to, in the weeks that come, this is for you. And here's why. Take it from somebody who has gone into ministry, worked in a church, worked with my own family, done different things, and tried to change everyone else around me and failed miserably. I have learned that the one thing that you can change in this world is why? You. It's just this inevitable, frustrating truth, but it's so true. And so, friends, I just want to challenge each of you. Start with you. Think about how this impacts you. Because here's the good news. You can't change another person. You can't change your whole family. But if you change your dynamic, you might just change the whole dance. And isn't that good news? Isn't that powerful? You have more power in the seat with you right now than you think or than you could even know, even if you've been walking through something for a very long time. So as we go to talk about this today, we we could talk for weeks on family. And I have one day. And so I, I started to narrow this down and I landed at two things and I'm going to end up with just one. But here's what I want to do. There's a whole nother piece to this message that I wanted to teach through that I'm not going to get to today. And so I'm going to teach Wednesday night at uh, Coffee with Casas here, which I believe what starts at 6.30. Yeah, 6.30 here on Wednesdays meets every Wednesday. You don't have to sign up for that. You can just come. But if you're, if you're wanting to hear another part of this or another thing, I will be in there this week at 6.30 on Wednesday and would invite you to come for what would be like part two uh, of a talk on family. Uh, here, and we'll just work through that and talk through some of those things together. So you are all invited and would love to see you there. Today, though, I want to start by identifying one thing, one dynamic, one dance, if you will, that will harm your family if you give it a place in your life. And I want us to see it clearly so that we can have the opportunity to make a different choice should we so desire. And it's this. This is the one big point for the morning. Passive aggression will harm your family if you give it a place in your life. Passive aggression will harm your family if you give it a place in your life. I realize that we might be on different pages or maybe different levels of understanding when it comes to that word or those words, passive aggression. So if, you've, if for you, you go, I think I've got a pretty good idea of passive aggression. I know it when I see it. I understand what it is. Let me just see a show of hands. If you're like, yeah, there's some familiarity with that. Anybody willing to say it? Some of you guys are like, I don't want to identify that about me. Yeah. How many of you, you look and you're like, I think I do. Maybe not. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's okay too. There's a lot of people in that. And then based on the hands and things that I didn't see, there's, there's a lot of like mixed understanding in this room. So let me start this way with a definition. And it's kind of clinical. I'm gonna, I'll acknowledge that. We'll explain it more in layman's as we go. Here's passive aggression defined. It is a pattern of indirectly expressing negative feelings instead of openly addressing them. Okay? It's what it is. It's a pattern, so this happens more and more, of indirectly, so not direct, right? Indirectly expressing negative feelings instead of openly addressing them. In layman's terms, think of it this way. It's when you got some stuff inside you. <laughs> 
that you don't like or that you're frustrated by. It might be hurt. It might be anger. It might be fear. It might be aloneness. I don't know, whatever it is that you've got. But usually these are like some more unpleasant experiences or things that are inside of us. And rather than directly going and saying, hey, I'm dealing with this right now, what we do is we either lash out in words and behavior or we give someone the silent treatment or we do something that is indirect. Do you see what I mean? It never tells the person this is where I'm at. It just starts putting things on display in, in, in a way that, that's overt but covert. Do you see? And I'm going to walk out some examples so that you can see this in just a little bit. But I need to start somewhere else. And here's where I need to start. I think I need to tell us why we're talking about this in a church service. If you're sitting here going, I don't understand why we're using the phrase passive aggression where we're talking about in a church service, which I've been asked this several times in the last week. I, I wanted to articulate it. Jesus tells us the greatest commandment is to love one another. Love God, right? Love God as he's loved us. Like, love God with all of our hearts, mind, strength, all of that. But then what's number two? To love one another as we love ourselves. There are a few things that will get in the way of us loving one another like this particular thing, and it's because it centers around this idea of dishonesty. And it starts to mess stuff up. In fact, this kept plaguing Jesus throughout his ministry with a group of people called the Pharisees. When you read about how the Pharisees interacted, which, man, I encourage you, go through your New Testaments and read about, read the interactions all these religious leaders had with Jesus. It is soaked in passive-aggressive behavior over and over and over again. I want to give you an example. Mark chapter 12, verse 13 says this. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians, him being Jesus, to trap him in his talk. So we don't have to guess about the intentions of why they're going there, right? There's not good intentions. There's malice, right? They, they want to trap him. They want to hurt him. Verse 14, and they came and said to him, now check this out. Teacher, we know that you are true. Do they believe that? No. And do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances, but you truly teach the way of God. Do you see the lack of harmony between those two verses there? We're going to get out there to trap him. Jesus, you are fantastic and amazing. You teach the word of God and we love who you are. And like, you're not bothered by anybody's opinions and all these different things. It's hidden. There's like a, there's a deviousness to this. There's something that's, that's hidden here. And then they say, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Here's why they're asking him. If Jesus says, well, yeah, it's lawful to pay taxes to Caesar. Do you know what's on the coin that they pay taxes with? A picture of Caesar with the inscription, Caesar is Lord. Can you imagine being a religious Jewish person having to pay taxes with a coin that says Caesar is Lord? And in case this isn't soaking in, can you imagine if our, our current president if it was on a coin and it said, Biden is Lord? Would you have tension with that? Now, even if that's not your political party, insert any other political party as president and it says that that president is Lord. Would you have tension with that? We all would. And so they're looking like, okay, so if he says yes, all the Jewish people are going to get mad. If he says no, you don't have to pay your taxes because of that. Do you know what's going to happen? All the Romans are going to clamp down on him. Either way, Jesus is trapped and he loses. And they do this stuff to him again and again, smiling faces, but hiding this bitterness and this frustration and all these things in their hearts. You know what I love about Jesus throughout the New Testament? And you just see it over and over again. Every time the Pharisees step up in passive aggression and say, Jesus, let's dance. He does a different dance altogether. Every time they, they throw this out there and it's that opportunity to react and do all these things, I keep waiting on all these Pharisaic moments where Jesus is going to be like, all right, it's go time. And instead he asks questions. All right, he's going to react and lash back and all these things. And, and, and he just responds so differently, so directly, so clearly. He doesn't engage in that same 
song and that same dance. And I think that's powerful, and I think that's our rabbi. I think that's our Lord. And there's something about that that I'm like, man, I want to learn from this as we seek to model the heart of Christ for one another. Right? So that passage is a perfect example of passive aggression. The intent has harm in it. And here's why it harms people. It's because it heaps shame or it somehow puts weight on other people in a way that isn't actually meant for them to carry and it ends up creating hurt. And so we're talking about this because frankly, I think God cares about it. That's why we're talking about it in church and I think he cares about our honesty. And in the moments where we struggle with dishonesty or cloaking that honesty, there's a part of us being real and true and honest that I think is important. Psalm 51 verse six says, behold, you delight in truth and in the inward being, speaking of God. You delight in truth and in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. God cares about not just how we act out here, but what's in here, right? What's going on in this heart of ours, inside of us? Luke chapter six, Jesus is speaking, verse 44, he says, for each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Meaning, whatever's in here, regardless of how we mask it, it's going to find its way out here. So we can be kind and we can choose to be candid and direct and honest or we can be hidden. The, the reason why we can't give passive aggression a place in our lives is because in every comment and in every behavior is a hidden thorn to use the language from the passage. There's like a thorn inside of it and it always ends up getting swallowed and causing harm. Or it always gets, ends up getting jabbed into somebody and hurting. Let me give some examples in case you're still going, what does this look like? Passive aggression is the following moment. I did this. This is an honest moment from my life and I just thought I would share this with you. When I walk into a kitchen and I see stuff left out all over the kitchen and a mess on the counter and I just cleaned up a bunch of stuff the day before and I walk in with my family in the other room and I loudly announce to everybody else, apparently everybody thinks it's okay to make a mess and leave it for somebody else to clean up. I guess I'll just have to do it. That happens. Right. Yeah, you guys smile, but like, have you been there? So I said that. That's what I did. Apparently, this is what's true. Now, honesty would have said something so different, wouldn't it? Because do I honestly believe that that's what everybody thinks? No. Here, we'll do this. Quick show of hands. How many of you think that it is perfectly fine to completely leave like a mess wherever you want and demand that somebody else pick it up? Raise your hands. Last hour, like, there's one back there. Brave individual. <laughs> Brave. Read the room. That's funny. I love that. That makes me happy. I would have raised my hand too. Right? We're not, like, look around. Like, we're not overly convinced that, like, we all know better. We know that that's not true, so then why would I say it? Here's what truth would have said. Honesty would have said, guys, I would really like the person who actually made this mess to be the one to come clean it up, and I cleaned this yesterday, and I don't want to do it again today. That's it. That would have been really clear. That would have been really straightforward. It would have also been straightforward to say, perhaps, I've been cleaning up a lot of stuff that's been left out lately. At least that's how I think, and that's how I feel about it. And so I would like help right now. Is somebody willing to help me do this? That also would have been overt and more honest to the things that I was thinking and feeling. But that's not what I said. I said the other thing. And suddenly the dance begins. It's like I just started dancing and everyone's like, let us join you in said particular moment. When you elicit passive aggressive responses, what happens? Well, people respond what? 
defensively, reactively, oftentimes passive aggressively. All of a sudden, the people in my house are starting to argue with me about how many messes that they have picked up in the last month. And we're starting to create a tally sheet and we're gonna like figure this problem out that none of us really care about, if I'm honest. All of a sudden, people start to accuse me of the different moments where I've left something out or a bowl in the sink or a thing that I did and they had to put it away and that's why this is justifiable and I need to be quiet. How dare I? right, in all of these moments. Some people aren't tempted to argue or defend. Instead, some people just quietly feel an, amounts of, an immense amount of shame and guilt in those moments, don't they? And they go, look what I did to my dad. Look, he's disappointed with me, and I need to carry the weight of his worth and value and his goodness, and I'm going to go clean those things and make sure that that's all taken care of. And if you grew up that way, you know that starts to stack on your shoulders, and the weight gets heavier, and it gets heavier, and it gets heavier, and eventually you get tired of carrying it. Right? For some people, it's not that they fight. Some people carry. And passive aggression can create harm. Do you see how either way, this starts a dynamic and a dance that nobody really wants to be into? Let me ask the question. Do you think that comment for me brought us closer together or moved us further apart? Do you think that comment for me brought us more towards seeing each other honestly and being a dynamic family that's trying to love one another and carry out all the needs and responsibilities of the household? Or do you think it was like a bomb going off in the middle of the kitchen relationally? See, it's tough. It is. We all get used to dance. Passive aggression is also the moment, here's another example, where a parent looks at a kid and says, smile, right? They look and they go, you look so much nicer when you smile. Think about that. If you walk up and you're like, you look so much nicer when you smile. And you watch the kid suddenly go, huh? Because honesty in that moment would have looked at the kid and go, hey, you have a really nice smile. And I love that. I just saw you smile and that was awesome. Like, I love that. That's what that would have been. But instead, what do we do? We compared the right now to another version of themselves and apparently when they're not smiling, we like the way they look a whole lot less. And now that kid's got to carry that and walk around and figure out what to do with some of those things. And they start to think in their head. Maybe they argue back. I do smile. This, is, this isn't how I, like, I am, I, I don't have to smile and not all of life needs to be smiled through and a bunch of other things that teenagers or any of us would respond with, Right? Or maybe they just roll their eyes and shut down and cut you off, which is also passive-aggressive behavior, and simply say, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. And it doesn't work. See, the problem with passive-aggression, it doesn't get us what we want unless what we're after is discord. It just doesn't work. See, the problem in each of these examples is the problem of passive aggression all the time. That problem is this, and this is why it is a spiritual problem. This is why it is a problem that I think God cares about, and it's this. It's not being honest. And instead, it's using dishonesty to wound or to heap shame or guilt on another person instead of owning that honesty piece, that courage piece for yourselves, for myself. And we all do this. By the way, if you're sitting in here and you're starting to feel real heavy because you're like, I think I do this sometimes. Yeah, I mean, all of us do. Like, you don't need to carry that, like, weight right now. It's just an opportunity to articulate through something and see it. And we all get to make a better choice. And if you fail at it a bunch as you go, you're in good company. Like, me too. But there's still a path forward. It's still important to talk about. Right? It's not being honest. It's using that dishonesty to create shame. And just in case, you might be sitting here going, I don't think this matters to me at all. Here's the litmus test to see if passive aggression matters to you at all. I want you to imagine that you accomplished something good in your life on a next week, that you accomplished something good, you're proud of it, it's important, and then someone that you know, not a stranger, someone that you know comes walking up to you, whom you like or respect or whatever, they come walking up to you and they say, hey, 
that was really good for someone like you. If that moment hit you weird at all, you care about passive aggression. If that moment struck you funny or where you're like, wait a minute, what is that supposed to, that, then you care about passive aggression. You're in. Like this is something that matters. If that hits you square in any way, shape, or form, you care about this. And that is okay because God does too. When we see Jesus get angry in scripture, it is almost always when some passive aggressive moment is used to create harm in the life or lives of somebody else. And it rarely happens, but it's always in those moments. And it's this powerful thing. It's okay to care about this. God does too. Proverbs chapter 26 beginning of verse 18. I love this. This is such an overt verse. It says, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death. Not a lot of verses in the Bible start this way. I love it. It's like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and then says, I'm only joking. Right? I, I do this. How many of you guys have ever found somebody talking to you and they hurt you, or there's like the words have a little bit of a dagger to them, or they're pointed. The next thing you know, you're like, that didn't feel right. That felt weird. And then they see that, and they go, I'm just messing with you. And you're like, we'll stop it, <laughs> right? I'm just joking. I'm just doing And then what happens to you is, well, now it's just a joke, so you're not allowed to take it seriously, which means you're just in this weird place internal. You've got to figure this out, and it, you're kind of trapped there. So do you lash out? Do you get aggressive? Do you get, look like an idiot now? What do you do, Right? I love this. Proverbs tells us that the moment is like a madman throwing firebrands, arrows, and death. There's a couple inferences here that we should acknowledge. First of all, each of the things he references clearly cause harm. Firebrands, arrows, death. Like none of us are going to be like, well, there's some goodness in that. No, there's none, right? They cause harm. They do. They're just tough. And second, you'd have to be crazy or destructive to use that strategy, aka a madman, right? This just, it doesn't work. It's not wise. And yet I do this sometimes. So do we. Right? Proverbs 26, continuing on. Look down at verse 24 if you're there in your Bibles. He says, whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. There's that inside-outside difference. There's that thing in here that's not what's reflecting out here, right? When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. It always comes out with people and groups of things when it all just gets messy, Verse 27, though, and this is what I really wanted you guys to see here. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Right? So there's this picture that's being drawn here of, like, there's this inside-outside thing, and when we act this way, and when we start putting that out there, what ends up happening is it creates harm. Verse 17, or verse 27, I'm sorry, I, I wanted us to see this because it becomes like a pit, right? That we dig for someone else and then we fall into it. In fact, everybody usually falls into it. If you know what it is to be passive aggressive, you probably grew up in a family that was pretty passive aggressive at some point in time or friends or things and everyone just kind of falls into that and it just becomes your operating system. And then verse 28 and you just get stuck there, it lands in ruin. And I think some of us, you're sitting here and you just, you know what this is like. I don't need to give you all the examples because you know, because you've been stuck in some form of a passive aggressive pit for a very long time and you don't know what to do about it. For some of you, you are tired of having to defend yourselves from moments or accusations that never really allowed you to enter into them because they weren't honest towards you and you, 
you don't know how to put both feet down and it just feels so weird and, and you don't know what to do. It doesn't feel safe and you're tired of navigating that because it's hard. Others of you are tired of carrying the amount of guilt that's been heaped on you over the course of years because all those moments started to stack in a way that now it's like you're carrying someone else's worth and significance and value and if you don't do these things and if you don't enter into that same dynamic and that same dance, it's just more of it. And so you've just learned how to do the same song and dance. And others of us now have these insecurities because all of those comments, all of those backhanded compliments or offhanded moments or indirect things start to stack up inside of a person until now you have to fight to tell yourself the truth of what God says is real about you because there's this other script that's just anchored itself in here and that's so hard, isn't it? See, this is something that matters. This doesn't create good for our families. So this is why I say this creates harm. And there's always an opportunity to do something different, to do a different dance. Before I ever even knew what passive aggression was, I had this moment, and I didn't know it at the time, you guys. At the mo I, I had this moment that was so powerful and just like, like witnessing something miraculous almost in the way this was. It was so powerful, and at the time, I just felt awkward and weird about it. You ever have these moments where something doesn't just happen in life, but whatever the moment is, it's teaching you like about life? and it gets ingrained in you, you're like, I need to remember this, and I'm gonna spend some time thinking about it long afterwards. This is one of those for me, I wanted to share it with you. Years ago, years ago, I think I was 24 years old or something like that, I was living in Loveland, Colorado, and uh, working in retail. Our store opened, or closed down at 10 p.m., and so you'd fold down the store at night, and so everybody's folding, and these two women came in at 8.30. By the way, no one in Loveland, Colorado shops after 8.30. It's not a thing, so it's just dead. These two women come walking in, and we're like, oh man, don't trash the whole store. And we find out they're just looking for dresses to wear to a wedding. And I'm like, everybody keep going and I'll help these guys out. So I go and I start helping these ladies with these dresses. And so again, they're going to a wedding. One of them is a mother, the mother of this other one. And the other one is an adult mother who had just had her second child. And they're needed, they both are going to a wedding together and they need to find a dress. So we grab dresses. They tried on so many dresses, like so many dresses, multiple multiple times. They were there for a while. And so they're, they're trying these on. Now, the mom in that moment, the older lady, she, she's in there and she's trying on all these dresses. Now, this lady in particular, she's one of those people that everything fits like right off of the rack. In fact, every time she tries something on, I'm like, yeah, you did it. That's what the person in the catalog looks like. Like when they give us the, the picture that says this is how it should look and how we should sell it, that you just did it. Like that's you. You should buy that dress. And everything she tried on just fit like it was made for her, like she's just one of those people, right? Whatever standard measurement, I don't know what it is, but that's what it was. And she tries on dress after dress after dress, and every time she tries one on, she stands in front of the three-way mirror on this little podium and is looking at herself, and then she'd just pause, and she'd find one, one imperfection, either on her own body or in the dress or something itself, and go, oh, no, I don't like that thing that I see. I don't like that. And then she'd be like, can I have another dress? Sure, we'll go get you another one. And so she does this, and I spend a ton of time getting dresses for her. Meanwhile, the daughter is trying on a bunch of dresses. And I get to know her a little bit and she tells me, I just had my second child and just the baby weight, I haven't been able to like, it hasn't shed off of me the same way that it did after the first one. I haven't been able to lose it at the same way. And so I don't have a dress that fits me for this wedding and I'm just trying to find something because I'm excited about the wedding. And we're like, okay, cool. So we're trying to get her situated. And I get her a bunch of dresses and she finally comes walking out in a dress that fits her well. And it flatters her and she feels good in it. She's standing in front of the three-way mirror. And, and it's not tight by any means, but it's form-fitting like around her hip area. And her, her mom stands there 
and turns and looks at her as her daughter is standing there staring into the three-way mirror. And her mom says to her, and I wrote this down, she goes, it looks good for where you are right now. But are you sure you don't want something that hides those hips a little longer until you get where you want to be? Right, some of you are immediately like, oh no, she did not, right? <laughs> Just so you know, the whole time, I'm standing there holding two other sizes of dresses with my back pressed hard against a wall. Just going like, I don't want to be here. This is uncomfortable. I don't know what to do right now. And I watch this daughter. She's standing on this podium staring into the mirror, and her countenance just drops, and her eyes close, and she lets out this exhale. And I just start to wait to see what's going to happen. It was almost like in the same moment she caught herself, and she takes this deep breath, and I see a smile on her lips before her eyes ever even open. And she opens her eyes. And she steps off the little podium thing and she turns to face her mom and she goes, Mom, I just had my second child and I am so proud of that and I like who I am and I like this body that I have and I don't know where I'm supposed to be or where I'm supposed to get to. I just know that this is who I am right here and right now and I like me. And then she looked at her mom and she said, and I'm sorry that me trying on dresses brings out your insecurities about my body but I like this dress and I'm gonna wear it to the wedding whether you like it or not. Now go pick one of those dresses that looked great on you and buy the thing already. And then she walked back into a fitting room and I was like, that's amazing. Do you know what I like? Oh my gosh, except I felt so uncomfortable. Because all I thought was, I was like, man, they're going to have a weird ride home or something bad's going to happen or I'm not sure and I didn't know anything about anything at that point in time and I just went to go put dresses away. And I thought about this story this last week because that's something that happened to me that I was just like, oh yeah, that's not a big deal. And I realized I witnessed something extraordinary that day. Do you see it? I witnessed something so incredibly powerful in that singular instant, me getting to stand there awkwardly in a hallway of a women's fitting room. I did. I witnessed something so extraordinarily powerful. And you know what it was? It was this. I watched someone start the song and dance of passive aggression and I watched somebody else say, no, I'm gonna do a different dance. I can't do it. And it was powerful. It was so extraordinary. What I watched is someone who had every right to recoil and pull back and defend and fight back and accuse and all kinds of things. I watched somebody who had every right to see me standing there and feel absolutely embarrassed and go, how dare you right now? I watched someone who had every right to shut down, slam a fitting room door and storm out of a store. I watched all of that happen and she did none of those things. Instead, she held her dignity and self-worth in one hand and her courage and her honesty in the other. And instead of indirectly doing all those other things, she just stated who and how and what she was. And it was a powerful thing to behold. It's why I wanted to share it with you today. You know what? She didn't change her mom. I've, this is the only dynamic I have with these guys. I don't have anything else of their story. But she didn't have to change her mom. That moment, changing her dynamic, has the ability to start to change the whole dance. And that's there for me and that's there for you. James chapter three, verse 14 says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, right? There's this internal, external thing or external thing again. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there's gonna be disorder and every vile practice. And then tune in on verse 17 right here. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest, right? That which we get to reap. 
A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James tells us that if we have jealousy or selfish ambition or insert whatever weird stuff is going on inside of here and we mask that and it starts to come out in all kinds of crazy ways, he looks and he's like, that's not gonna do good things. And yeah, there's this other kind of wisdom that's from above. I love the kind of wisdom he encourages us toward in verse 17. He says, wisdom from above is pure. Man, that's a good word, isn't it? It's pure, it's honest. I think of like water, it's clear. It's trustworthy, it's not tainted, it's pure. It's also peaceable. It's not seeking to wound. It doesn't have a hidden dagger or a thorn inside of it. It's, it's not seeking to harm and it's not trying to heap guilt or shame on somebody else, right? It's trying to connect with the people that you care about, that we care about. And it's gentle. Wisdom from above reminds us that it's tough to be a human being and that our hearts are delicate things sometimes, for sure. And that vulnerability is like a, kind of awkward deal for some of us sometimes and there's risk involved to that and so there's gentleness needed for some of these moments. It's also wisdom from above is full of mercy. It recognizes that we're gonna get it wrong. We are, we're gonna mess it up. We're gonna need to ask for a do-over from time to time. If, we, if some of you know what it is to be passive-aggressive, it's probably because you grew up in environments and dynamics where that was your operating system and you've been practicing that a long time. It's probably gonna take a decent amount of time to practice something else before it feels normal and that just makes you normal. So there's mercy here. There's an understanding of this. And it's impartial and sincere. It's not masked. It's not cloaked. What's inside is outside. What's outside is inside. It's beautiful, isn't it? So friends, a passive aggression is something that brings harm to our lives and it brings harm to the family that we care about and the people in them. Let's choose something different. Let's grab a hold of that little bit of wisdom from above and try to make that our path in those moments when we're tempted to use those words or those behaviors. So I could just end there and go, so go enjoy your week. I wanna leave you with three challenges. I'm just, here's maybe some ways to navigate that. Here's the first one. Recognize that every passive aggressive statement has a need or a desire behind it. Every passive aggressive statement has a need or a desire behind it. This is huge. Because if you can see this, you can actually see what the other person's really caring about and you can make the choice as someone who cares about them whether you would like to meet them in that or not. And this becomes powerful. You step out of the reaction and you get to choose your action. This becomes huge. So when I say, apparently it's okay for everybody to just make a mess and not have to worry and leave it for somebody else to clean up and I guess I just have to do it now. When I say that, right, Everyone in the moment can start reacting and arguing or they can look and go, what is it that's really behind that? What's the purpose or the need that he's actually caring about? Because he's not doing a good job being direct right now. Because I wasn't, right? Well, really tactically and really overtly, it might just be he doesn't want to clean up the mess that someone else made, right? I, you could just overtly think that, but I think there's more there. And I'll be honest, for me in that moment, there was. I think I was feeling taken advantage of because I just cleaned it the day before and I'm starting to look and going, man, does everybody just think I'm just gonna keep doing this and I would like some help and some partnership and some support and can we partner in this? That was actually what I was really getting at. I was feeling a little bit of aloneness, which I know is a weird way to say that about dishes, but I think that's true. Like, man, am I trying to carry this moment? Am I trying to do this thing and care about this? Am I alone here? Is someone with me? This is my family. These are the people I want to care about. And I may not even be seeing them. I may have missed the moments I was out of the room and they had cleaned the kitchen. But, but either way, that's what I'm expressing. If they'd paused and, and said, you're feeling alone right now, or how are you actually feeling, or what's going on? I might have been able to articulate that, but instead I started the song that started the dance and then we just went for it, like we do. 
What happens if you see the need and the purpose behind the thing? And if you're sitting there going, I'm not Sherlock Holmes. I don't have the ability to figure all that stuff out. You don't have to. Just turn to the person and ask them when you see that moment that you're about to lash out at, pause and go, I really want to argue and I really want to defend right now, but I just want to ask, what is there that's hardest about this for you? What is the thing that you actually want me to know or that you really care about? And give them the chance to share it with you. Now, that's a hard thing to do because you've got to catch yourself in the moment, but it's a powerful thing to do if you choose to do it. And you'll mess that up and then you'll get it at other times. Right? If you lash out or you defend, you start to miss what the other person really needs. And now, you might change that, but you may, it doesn't guarantee you're going to change the other person, but it takes two to tango, right? And they need a dance partner. And if you change the way you dance, we've said it again and again, it might just change the whole dynamic all together. Number two, trade reactivity. Choose to trade reactivity and avoidance for directness. Choose to trade reactivity and avoidance for directness. I love the way that woman in that fitting room modeled that moment that day for me. I've thought about this over the past couple of years. When everything could have lashed out, what did she do? She turned and she just said, here is my truth. Here's where I am, here's how I feel, and here's what I need you to know, and I'm not gonna do the same dance. I choose my own dance here. I choose my own dynamic. And it was really powerful, and she chose to be direct. This is what I love about Jesus. Jesus, in moment after moment, when they come at him in these sly ways and all these different things, he just pauses and he's like, I'm not going to do that with you. What about this, though? Jesus, in all those moments where I keep thinking, and now the hammer's going to drop and the Son of God's going to strike all the Pharisees down and be like, how dare you talk to me that way? Do you know who I am? And all these different things. Instead, he looks and he asks them questions. He engages them differently. And I just love this. There's a directness to who Jesus is instead of jumping back into that swirl. I want that same thing for me. It's not always hard. And here's, or not always easy. Here's the third one. And this is the last thing for the morning. Risk, and it is a risk, but risk saying the real truth. Risk being honest. Risk being honest. Risk being honest. If you walk away with nothing else today, risk being honest. This is a big deal. This last challenge is for all of us, myself included, that struggle with being passive aggressive from time to time. And I'm challenging us to risk being honest. Perhaps we've grown up in a family that operated that that way and now it's just our nature. It's what we do. It's like our behavioral pattern. We just know how to do it. Risk breaking it. Risk being honest. Risk whatever conflict or breaking moments or whatever that is that's on the other side so that you don't have to do the same dance anymore. Perhaps we felt that in order to get our needs met, it was easier to be indirect out of fear that we might hurt or fear that something bad might happen. And and so all of this happens and it's exhausting. If you don't want to be exhausted, risk being honest, risk being kind but direct. Or maybe we find ourselves frustrated and angry that people just don't see us and we think, man, they should be doing the math and see us like me with dishes. They should see all the times that I'm doing this and all the stuff and and, and, and they should just know that. I shouldn't have to tell them, no, it's my job to risk being vulnerable and being honest in those moments. You see, this is, this is a courageous moment. It's something we have to like summon your courage to go, I'm gonna step in and do this differently. And you might hurt the other person's feelings, but in reality, in reality, if you choose to do the dance of passive aggression, what ends up happening? Everyone ends up feeling more unseen. Everyone ends up feeling accused. Everyone ends up shutting down, closing doors, doing things. And does it move you closer to the people that you love and want to have connection in this world and life with? You know the answer. I know the answer. 
No. So summon the same courage that you see in the heart of Christ because it is in you, friends. That love is in you. And bring it to those moments with your family. If you're hurt, my challenge is don't make an accusation. Risk saying the real truth that you are hurt. It might feel awkward, but you'll get used to it. If you're afraid, risk saying the real truth that you're afraid. If you're uncomfortable with the word afraid, say that you're nervous. Say that you're tense, that you have tension, or that something's hard. Risk it. If you're lonely, choose to not guilt people into seeing it or coming to your rescue or or to somehow coming to do that thing and instead have the courage to say, guys, I'm actually a little lonely and I need a friend. And trust that to the people in your life that matter to you and see that more people respond to that than being repelled away by the guilt that comes with the other. This is a big dynamic changer, friends. If you're angry, risk saying how you actually feel that you are angry. And here's the thing. Some of you are like, but then what if conflict happens? Well, it's already happening. It's just passive aggressive conflict right now. So risk, risk being able to articulate that and you cannot control the other person's response, but You can be proud of the way you entered into that moment and change your dynamic. And once again, let's articulate, it might just change the dance. You might just find your way out of that pit. You might just find your way moving towards the people you love and want to connect with the most. And that is a good, beautiful thing, friends. You know, these days, my dad is still one of my favorite people. And we get along great. I love him dearly. Don't get me wrong, we still annoy each other sometimes because we're family but I love him. He is one of my favorite people. And you know what happened along the way? Like that Cat Stevens song in the beginning, I did, I left. And I went away to Chicago and I had to do a bunch of my own growing up and figuring life out and working on some things. And I started to realize like, oh man, I was kind of bringing a lot of stuff to this dynamic and things too. And I was being a little passive aggressive and a bunch of other stuff. And so after I moved back to Arizona, you know, the thing that I loved is I started to just treat him directly. I started to be honest and have the courage to do that. And I watched him do a pretty good job of trying to meet me back in that and be honest with me. And we mess it up sometimes, but we've gotten a little bit better. And now, there are few people on the planet that I would rather spend time with. And I'm so proud to be his son and so proud that he's my father because he's my family. I don't know what your family is like and I don't know what your dynamics are. I can't begin to imagine But I do know one thing, is that wherever you might find yourself right now, and whether passive aggression has made its way to hold you and you're trying to figure out how to break it or get out of it, or even right now you feel a little unsettled with this, all you need to know is this, just start with you. Start with courage and the honesty of Christ in you. Change your dynamic, and you might just change the whole dance. Let me close with the words of James. Friends, a reminder. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness. That's my prayer for your lives. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Will you bow your heads with me? God, we love you. We come before you. We recognize this is a hard topic. It's hard to talk about family. It's so personal. And so God, I just pray, Lord, if there's weight in this room, if there's shame, if there's guilt, if there's struggle, may we just know your love and your grace and your mercy right now. May each person have a sense of that deeply for themselves. And Lord, if there is any kind of passive aggressive grip in our house or our heart or our lives, give us courage to see it. Give us kindness for ourselves as we try to navigate it. Help us to encourage one another, but Lord, but give us the courage to do a different dance. Fill us with your love. May we embody the heart and the life of your son. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.